1: Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and as you well know, this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you, your family, your friends, you're all keeping well. So, live, Saturday, three o'clock football, plus Premier League on the BBC, whatever next. It's just not the same though, is it? Now, something that I'd just like to quickly say before we crack on with this one. I've always tried to keep this podcast politically free but in light of recent events not just in this country but across the globe I just personally wanted to state the Black Lives Matter movement of course matters as indeed do all lives and we as football fans and followers of our national football team have witnessed disgusting and inappropriate scenes on our travel that me personally as a white Englishman I will never really understand the deep hurt and damage that it can cause. But I do find the term football fan offensive when people are rioting, assaulting police officers and causing damage in our own cities. This I've seen written in various media articles. These people do not represent me and I'm positive they don't represent you either. Just because these people are chanting like a football crowd does, please let's not get us mixed up. I know the FA and our very own Supporters Club have taken great strides in trying to eradicate racism and it's something we should all continue to get behind and support. Let's never forget who put the ball in the racist net. Now I hope you've enjoyed some of the more recent episodes I've put out. Lots of love for the John Murray one, the BBC Five Live commentator. Likewise, Nicky Shorey one too. And we're still looking at your first away game. And if you want to get in touch and share yours, just drop me a line. And as of course, Euro 2020 should be underway at the moment. We all know it's not. But we looked back on Euro 2012 recently with Glyn Davis. Take a listen to that one. His Look back on that particular tournament in Poland and Ukraine. Now, this happens to be the 100th episode of this podcast. Who would have thought it? I hope you don't mind me blowing my own trumpet for a moment. At Ryan Power started it back in March 2017. And I hopped on board for the fifth episode. We joined forces until I took it on on my own in February 2018 at episode 16 And should you want to, all those are still available to listen to over at 3 com. Now, enough of all that self-gratification. I'm sure you're probably aware, but some news that was released at the recent UEFA Executive Committee meeting on the 17th of June, where they announced the rearranged dates for all the European tournaments. Champions League, Europa League, etc. But also, more importantly, dates for next year's European Championships. Concerning England, we will play Croatia at Wembley Sunday the 13th of June, kick-off at 2. We'll play the winner of Playoff C at Wembley. That'll either be Scotland, Norway, Serbia or Israel. Friday the 18th of June, and that'll be an 8 o'clock kick-off. Imagine that, 8 o'clock kick-off Friday night against Scotland. Maybe. Uh, and we will play the Czech Republic Tuesday the 22nd of June uh, and that will be an 8 o'clock kickoff as well. A little closer, the Nations League dates have also been confirmed. Uh, according to UEFA.com, the national team football windows of October and November 2020 will now feature triple-headers. ...instead of doubleheaders, thus allowing the postponed European qualifying playoffs to be rescheduled... ...at the beginning of the respective windows on the 8th of October and 12th of November. The group stage matches of the 2020-21 UEFA Nations League will be played on the following match days... ...the 3rd to the 5th and 6th to the 8th of September... ...10th and 11th and 13th 14th of October and 14th, 15th, and 17th, 18th of November of this year, 2020. Of course, these will be fixtures against Denmark, Iceland, and Belgium. Obviously, what we're more interested in, though, is whether we'll be able to attend these, which as yet hasn't been advised. And there will also be friendly matches played on the 7th of October and 11th of of November, not quite sure how we fit into that little category, so watch this space, basically. But it's good to finally get some sort of clarification on these dates. So we can just pop them in the diary. On to this episode. I'm guessing I'm pretty much the same as every other football supporter. When I get together with friends or match-going mates at some point in conversation, a match will come up whereby someone says... God, that one was dire. That game was awful. And then you end up chatting about how bad it actually was. I think it's all part of the football ritual. Much the same as sort of regularly referring back to individual players who who perhaps didn't live up to expectations. You know the ones. Doesn't matter if it's international, Premier League, non-league, Sunday League. We somehow remember those awful ones, perhaps more so than perhaps the routine 4-0 qualification match. I'm not sure how well this episode will go down highlighting these boring games, but something I always try and remember, especially on an away day, is never let the football spoil the trip. Maybe, perhaps, losing World Cup semi-finals is an exception. Now, Initially, the idea was put to me by a listener, Mike Curtis, who you may remember told us about his experience of the 2004 European Championships. And after a message on Twitter, it appears there are a fair few to be remembered. And I say remembered in inverted commas. A lot of nil-nils were suggested, unsurprisingly. But some with some goals too. I thought we'd look back at the five most mentioned ones in a little more detail, of which I realised that four of them I had the pleasure of being at. But other notable games mentioned included uh, Finland away in 2000 by John O'Greg. 0-0 in Helsinki, which was a World Cup qualification match. One where Ray Parler hit the underside of the bar and the ball bounced down, crossed the line, but the French referee didn't allow it. That was the only real excitement there. Costa Rica in the 2014 Brazil World Cup in Belo Horizonte. Again, 0-0 as England ended their disastrous campaign after losing to Uruguay and Italy. That was suggested by Daniel Mandel. Yet on the flip side, at Chris WFEA said, Love that game. Amazing support in the circumstances. And Gary Bischoff went along expecting the worst, but ended up having a party. One of his best experiences. The interesting one, this one. Danny O'Donnell mentions the 4-0 away win to Malta saying it was pretty dire. Uh, I personally didn't go myself to that one, but I know many left at half-time. Mark Griffiths mentioned Bulgaria at home in 1998, another nil-nil, And one that many mentioned was Slovenia away in 2016 in a World Cup qualifier, only really remembered for a wonder save by Joe Hart. And Dom Smith mentioned Honduras, the pre-World Cup game in Miami in 2014, the one where it was stopped for 40 minutes as a lightning storm broke out in the area. And the full-time result in that one? Nil-nil. So, spoiler alert, if you're looking for goals, this one may not be for you. So what has made it into the top five come tedious games? Let's find out. So let's get this feature up and going. And I guess where do we start? I think we should start with the person that gave me the initial idea Mike Curtis, Manchester United fan and regular on the home and away circuit. Hello there. Hi, Ross. How are
2: you? Not too bad, yourself? Yeah, really good. Really good, thanks. You kind of Gave me the uh, the idea for this particular feature <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did I think I think we were just talking about really boring games that we've been to yeah as England fans and you always remember like the really good ones but you always tend to remember the really awful ones as well yeah and it's just something that came up because I think we all remember sort of England in Dublin but there were other ones are nearly as bad or if not worse yes
1: and well, well there's one particular one that uh that you seem to think was quite tedious, come boring.
2: Yes, uh, England versus Macedonia. It would be for the 2008 European qualifiers, but it would be would have been just after the World Cup.
1: That's right. So it was the seventh of October, 2006.
2: Yep, on a Saturday night.
1: See, I I have absolutely no recollection of. A this game, or B where I even watched it, or, or C even if I did, I'm sure
2: I did. But yeah, um, that's that pretty much sums up where I. Where I uh, it's not exactly in my highlights of watching England home and away.
1: Well, this one was played up at Old Trafford. That's uh, good, yeah, Manchester United's ground whilst Wembley was being rebuilt. It was the fourth and most recent time we'd played Macedonia, who were of course a former part of you. Hugh- Yugoslavia, I think. Yep. yep um, yeah, Steve McLaren. Well, he was in charge.
2: Yes. <laughs> Say no more. So, yeah, I mean, I think we'd we'd already drawn. Did we play them at Southampton? It's at Mary. It's about two in, in two thousand and three ish. Two thousand
1: and two. We two. Yeah, Southampton, and we drew two two with them then. Yeah. Uh, we then went to Scopier, Scopi? I've never known how you pronounce that.
2: Scopier, I always pronounce it.
1: Beat them 2-1 and then beat them 1-0, 2003-2006 um, respectively.
2: But then it came round to this game. We two of them again. Yes. And to be fair, looking, at, sort of looking back at the game and that, doing a bit of research, we actually had a very strong side out. And it was a side that you would that fancy... England to do really well I mean we've just come off the quarters at the World Cup Macedonia probably at the time about 70 70 odd in in the Wales are not a great team but you expect a strong English side to get a good result absolutely it's actually one of those results that let us down really I do think for the qualifiers to the Euros of 2008
1: yeah so this team featured the likes of Gary Neville, Stephen Gerrard, Michael Carrick, Frank Lampard, it, it's pretty much
2: like, Rooney and.
1: Yeah, wow. the golden generation.
2: Yeah, I would say 75% of it, 80% of it is the golden generation. expect them to get a good result. However, the things weren't, didn't go that way. <laughs> no. See, what was the
1: atmosphere like there, at Old Trafford? I, I,
2: I've tried to remember. Old Trafford's a bit of a strange one for England. Obviously, we had the Greece result back in mm. 2001 which obviously went really well. But I always found that it didn't feel quite right at Old Trafford, mainly because a lot of the United fans refused to go, for various reasons. It was a lot of the North West that went, but a lot of the big team, so Liverpool, United fans didn't go. Yeah, But I guess that being post-World Cup and being McLaren in charge, I guess there would have been a pretty decent following. I mean, there was thirty-two thousand, so it was a decent following that went to the game. And it was on a Saturday evening, so it probably enabled kids and families to go. And it's probably an ideal first game for someone that's just getting into England. I would have thought. Yeah,
1: very true. But I mean, I did, I did watch the or the very brief highlights, which I found on YouTube, and the full time whistle went, and there were a few boos.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, looking sort of through the game, we probably had about four or five shots on target. Very lacklustre up front, I would say. When we had one shot target in the first half, which was Lampard. Uh, second half, and it was just a very drab performance, and you kind of question some of the players. Oh the tactics. The referee has taken the ball and Macedonia have pulled off one of the big shots in the early stages of this
3: European Championship qualifying competition and they've held Steve McLaren's side to a goalless draw. Look at the celebrations in their corner of the ground there and this is not the result that England were looking for. There will be a lot of misgivings, a lot of inquests. It's got
1: real here for Steve McLaren for the first time. It's a final score at Old Trafford of England nil macedonia nil so a a poor game all all in all and, yep. and it didn't get any
2: better for you no um being it was a, a saturday evening kickoff i was a friend's that lived over in um, part of manchester and i thought oh, i'm not gonna get the tram back i'll walk for those of you that know where old trafford is there's a big sort of old docks a place called pomona and i would walk across pomona docks back into town and I got kind of a bit lost and ended up having to climb a fence to get over a bridge in the rain and mud. Typical of Manchester in October, to be fair. Yes, so that was about the most exciting part of my evening that that night. It was just a very boring, drab, nil-nil from England, really. But I I
1: kind of think we have to experience those sort of games to appreciate what we have had recently.
2: Very much so. I think I mean, I went from stage personally that I hadn't seen England win for about two years uh, on away games. So now that like, I, I, I sort of take every away victory or away result as a, a decent result. If you get a nil nil at home against Macedonia, you think, why did I do it? But, the things yes. we do for football. Exactly, that's exactly. Uh,
1: well, hopefully, when we play Macedonia next, wherever it may be, we'll uh, we'll get a more exciting
2: game. <laughs> Well, yes, it might be one of those ones that we might actually play at Wembley.
1: It may well do, yeah. We shall have to wait and see. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for uh, thank you. Uh, for reliving that one for us. <laughs>
2: yeah, thank you very much as well.
1: England's last game at Wembley before the World Cup finals proved to be an embarrassing disappointment. They drew nil-nil with Saudi Arabia, who aren't
2: expected to reach the competition's second round next month in France.
1: Now we're going to go back to 1998 for our next game. And I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast Stourbridge fan Chris Johnson. Hello, Chris. How you doing? You're right. Oh, Very well, thank you. As I say, we are going back to 1998 for this particular game. It's one that I also attended, dug my program out as well, but uh, it's one that I I have very little recollections of. Although when I put it out on Twitter, Dan Hardman Smart said of the this particular game, typical tournament warm-up game, at least it was sunny. You were there too. It was England-Saudi Arabia at the old Wembley, wasn't it? It was,
4: yes, it was.
1: You said it was your second ever game, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was um, nine years old. Previous game, so that was sort of prior to year 96, a Hungary friendly. And so, yeah, we went went along as a family to this. I believe it was the final game before the final warm-up game before um, France 98. That's Um, right. Yeah, so we went down there expecting uh, a win and probably a, a few more goals to beat.
1: Yeah well it, it ended nil nil uh, as is the case of a lot of these games we're talking about on this episode it
4: was a dreadful game it's probably it's probably one of those games that nowadays you'd be you'd be soon sort of thinking about making an exit maybe getting back to the pub I imagine but <laughs> yeah on think, what uh, 60 70 minutes 80 yeah something like that I'm not one for leaving games early but I uh, yeah, I very much imagine if a similar sort of game happened, yeah. this you know, in this day and age, I'd, be, I'd soon be off. But, uh, but no, no, it was it was yeah, awful game. And uh, you know, as as a nine year old boy, sort of very impressionable at that age, aren't you? With with anything you sort of go to see. So I'm surprised they ever watched a game of football again. To be fair, after. That. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I think if it was now, I think there'd be a hell of a lot of booing, wouldn't there? If if we couldn't beat a team of of Saudi Arabia's calibre, or would uh, you absolutely. expect? Yeah,
4: no, definitely. I think it'd be you know, especially sort of prior to a big tournament. You know, if we'd uh, say we'd have struggled against um, you know Romania, perhaps prior to the start of this tournament, there would have been a hell of a lot of sort. You can imagine what would have been uh, written about them in the press and uh, you know on television, and they'd have been ripped to pieces. Probably would have
1: thought they would have been yeah i guess the media would have really gone to town Absolutely. Um, yeah 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 saudi arabia they were going into the world cup as well they were ranked 34th at the time we were fifth and as you say it, it was a game that we were we were highly likely to have won going into it we'd only played them once before as well which which ironically was a draw as well so perhaps we don't have a uh, a particularly good record against saudi arabia
4: that they like it,
1: definitely it was one game that I, I had a quick look through the very small highlights. I don't know if you realise, I certainly didn't. It would have been one of Gazza's final appearances and, in fact, his last Wembley England appearance. England created numerous scoring chances, this from captain Alan Shearer, but all too often it was
3: their finishing that let them down. Only the crowd-pleasing appearance of Paul Gascoigne and Ian Wright as second-half substitutes offered England a glimmer of hope.
4: Yeah, I still had a quick... Um, through the highlights if you could, and call them them this morning just prior to this phone call. And uh, yeah, I, I, he came off the bench, I believe, didn't he? I think he, he did. Just came off the bench and had a, a couple of chances sort of to uh, to sort of win the game for us. But yeah, I, I, was it was it his final game? Was it or did he have yeah. to did he play a couple more after that?
1: Well, I think he played in a couple of the friendlies against. I think there was a Belgium friendly we played um, prior to the '98 World Cup, but they were away from. Away from England, and um, so uh, yeah, he he played in that. But I think this would have been his last England Wembley appearance, if final one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, before he was uh, sort of unceremoniously dropped by Glenn Hoddle. Absolutely, yeah. One thing I, I was going to say about Saudi Arabia, I believe um, they are one of the teams that their players are very much heavily home based. I think wasn't it one of the World Cups? That their every player from their squad was was home based, which was quite quite something when you consider some of the the national teams and where they pull their players from or where the players ply their trade.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think um, going through the team sheet for the for the friendly game itself, I think there was only about maybe three or four sort of home three or four clubs from Saudi Arabia. But the whole the whole squad came from, I believe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you say, it's very much a very much a homegrown. National size, isn't it? And then they there's in
1: their national league. Yeah, that's right. There's there's one other thing that when I say Saudi Arabia, that always comes to my mind. And I think it was the ninety, wouldn't it have been nineteen ninety, I think, but ninety four World Cup where there was one particular player, and I, his name totally escapes me. But he scored the goal of the tournament. And it's one where they have these uh, lookbacks on World Cup tournaments. This one always comes up where this fella ran from his halfway line, um, and I think it was against Belgium. I think, and, and scored. I think he picked it up just outside his own box and ran all the way and scored. Do you remember that one?
4: No, I don't, actually. I'll have to uh, <laughs> I'll have, to have a, a view of it myself after this.
1: So, I mean, going forward, are you, are you a regular follower of England still?
4: Yeah, I am, yeah. Um, sort of got back on board around the previous World Cup against I had a few years off, you know, not travelling to any of the away games, but sort of prior to that first, first away game, joining the travel club was uh, Belarus. Uh, ah. which was 2008, I believe. So, yeah, sort of do as many, majority of the home games and as many away games as possible.
1: Yeah, obviously this year isn't isn't happening, but fingers crossed and and hopeful for next year.
4: Yeah, that's it, yeah, obviously we'd be all very excited for a sort of, well, pretty much home tournament with a, with a lot of the games based at Wembley and, and, uh, and, you know, hopefully we'd be reaching the last stages of semi-final and final at Wembley, but, but yeah, there you go, that's not, not to be and, We'll, we'll see we'll see what happens come next summer
1: yeah well chris thank you very much for for joining us and, and sharing and reminiscing of that uh, of that day back in 1998 no worries thanks for that
5: Let's get right to the highlights in this match. Uh, England so hopeful coming in and not a lot happened for the Lions in this one.
1: Okay, now it has to be said that over the years we have had some stinkers at tournaments, but none more so than our next one. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Chelsea fan, Gary Fannin. Hi there, how are you doing? England games, tedious, boring England games. <laughs> <laughs> you and I... Um, Well, we we picked one here, didn't we? World Cup 2010. Go on. Which one was it? It was England v Algeria. Oh, dear. (laughs) And it's funny because like,
5: when when we picked that, my first thought was, I don't know what to talk about because it was so boring, I don't really remember it, apart from it being a nil-nil draw.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, previous to the game, like when the, the original draw would have been made out, I imagine we were all thinking, well, this this is an easy one. This will be a good one to uh, to go to. We'll all want a ticket for this Mm -hmm. one. We can win the group. How wrong can we be?
5: Absolutely. the The previous game uh, in the group was against the U.S. and as you can tell, I'm I'm, I I am half American. And we drew that one all. And we thought, well, that's okay. We got Algeria next. Of course, we'll win that, and we'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Little did we know that, uh, yeah, we were going to come out of it as a, as a nil-nil draw. It was pretty shocking. Um, so did you
1: go to the, the yeah. U.S. game or did you fly down?
5: Well, funnily enough, I actually had tickets for the uh, U.S. game as well as the Algeria game. Right. And I was going to go to South Africa with a mate of mine and lots of changes happened in the end and he couldn't go. And I thought, oh, you know, do I do I cancel this trip? And I thought, well, no, I, I want to go. So, so I didn't go to the US game just because it was too long of a trip on my own and so I thought well I'll just I'll just go to the Algeria one and of course my loyalties people said well who are you going to support in the US one and the fact that it was a draw I went well that's that's fair you know (laughs) but also knowing that we had the Algeria game coming up and of course we'll win that and you know and I thought in my head yeah I'll be in Cape Town it'll be fun you know just you know we'll, we'll give them a good thrashing it'll be a great game yeah and to be honest, the game was the last thing I remember about the whole. Uh, it's, it's the least thing I remember about the whole the whole trip because it was so dull. Uh, the, the interesting thing was, um, as as an actor, which is what, what I do, um, I actually had my highest TV ratings ever viewer viewer ratings uh, that night because Go on. <laughs> at at halftime, I'm sitting there, you know, as as the rest of the crowd is really sort of you know. Not not very happy about this whole situation. I think they're even booing the teams. They're going off for halftime, and suddenly my my phone just starts buzzing like crazy, and all these text messages coming in from people going, "You're on TV. No. You teammate." An and I was like, "What?" And I thought, "Stop texting me. You're costing me a fortune here." But yeah, basically the, the 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 I don't know who was airing it, who was broadcasting it that night, but uh, they were doing shots of the crowd of like all these upset England fans. And it was this huge close-up of just me looking pretty pissed off, it has to be said. Oh no. Um, and then yeah, it's so yeah, people have taken screen grabs of that and said it's my most famous moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the main thing I remember about that whole game was that I was on TV, and I couldn't tell you anything else about the game except it was deathly boring. And just what a shambles it was, you know, that seemingly on paper such an easy game for us to win, and and we didn't
1: didn't yeah i know uh, i must admit when i was trying to uh, to think back about it there, there's nothing to really remember about it other than when i returned back to because i flew back from cape town to pretoria mm-hmm. and i got back and sort of went straight to bed and woke up the next day and it was just all all across the news obviously that england had drawn with algeria but wayne rooney had had a uh, had a pop at the england fans as he walked off as he sort I, of looked straight down the camera
5: Nice to see the whole fans supporters. Yeah, and that's right. You know, and and I, I I get that. You know, I mean we as the as the, as the you know the supporters obviously we were upset because you know, as we said, we should have won that game easily. And it was a real struggle. And yeah, we were frustrated. You know, we traveled all this way to the World Cup and uh, yeah, we should have won it. Um yeah, and that was the headline, wasn't it? That Wayne Rooney had to go right right down the camera lens. Yeah. And, yeah, he was probably pissed off as well. I actually really felt disappointed because, you know, like I said, I was supposed to go with a mate and all of that got canceled at the last minute. So I went on my own, almost against my better judgment. Ended up, <laughs> it's quite funny, because I ended up staying with a friend of mine's mother on a retirement community and... <laughs> I don't think she was really supposed to have guests. So I felt like I was kind of in hiding as well. And, you know, and uh, so it didn't feel very laddish at all, you know, and there I was on my own and sort of, you know, doing all the touristy stuff as well. Mm. But yeah, and and I was also in the middle of a divorce. So it was was just like this really negative time. And I thought, well, at least we're going to have a great game. And nope. Yeah, I think, I don't know, Maybe maybe it was me. Maybe I cursed the whole thing. It was my sort of, you know, bad luck phase that (laughs) caused the nil-nil draw. (laughs)
1: Well, no, we were all in it together, all in it together. So did you stay out in South Africa for any longer? It was just a bit of a
5: holiday, and I was there a week. Yeah, it was a beautiful country, absolutely beautiful. And the atmosphere was fantastic. So many fans from all over the world. And, you know, being on my own, I was worried. It's like, you know, I have a no mates here. And, and in the end, you know, meeting people just, you know, in, in bars and stuff and, and having fun. And the atmosphere was fantastic. Yeah, I ended up having... A really fun time, despite you know all the all the negative things.
1: Despite that, ninety minutes.
5: Yeah, exactly. Which I've kind of blocked
1: from my head. But hey, you know, I got my most famous TV moment out of it. So, oh, <laughs> well, go on then. I mean, what what, what <laughs> may we may we know you from? Or?
5: Well, I was I was in the West End for a long time with a, a comedy a group called the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and we used to tour around the UK a lot. And since then, I've also done a, a bit of telly and, and film stuff another sort of bad luck moment i was actually in uh specter um With as a, bond yeah yeah no i had two days of filming on that and in the end i was my um, and i wasn't i was cut out of it which was a real oh. shame but my name is in the credits so at least that, that's a, a positive but yeah just other little things little bits of telly i was in an episode of 24 and uh fearless which was on itv with Helen mccrory just little things like that here and there i did do a commercial which was has been around for a while the the orbit chewing gum the the dad walking in on his daughter with her boyfriend in the her bedroom yeah so that was that was around a couple years ago but yeah, that's probably all you'd ever see me from, unless you happen to tune into that Algeria game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm certainly not going to watch it again. <laughs> no, no one is. <laughs> it's all over in Cape Town. Another poor performance from England. Booze ring around the Cape Town Stadium. And so you're you're a regular follower of England now then? Yeah,
5: my mate Davey Naylor, who runs englandstats.com, dot com, um, uh, he and I, yeah, keep up with it and and uh, and you know go when we can. So yeah, I I think we're in a hopeful phase now. I don't know, things are looking up. We we always had that belief, oh, this will be the year, uh, but it feels different this time. I I think we've got a lot of really good sort of young players coming up. Yeah, our prospects are looking good. I think.
1: Let's hope so. We've just got to wait a little bit longer until we can see it again. Absolutely, yeah. Gary, thank you very much for your time and my absolute pleasure. Well, it's taken 20 years to get here, but finally, England are back in Dublin. It's really great to have you with us on this historic occasion and one we're hoping will be memorable for all the right reasons. Right, then let's move on to our next game. And it's one that, well, uh, my initial memories are I spent quite a lot of money on this one. €70 Euros for a match ticket, a uh, flight across the Irish Sea, a night's accommodation, a trip to the Guinness factory, and uh, and various other things that come with a, uh, a trip following England abroad. It's just the, the game kind of got in the way. Now, also there was Brighton fan, Lewis Moynen. Lewis, hello there. Hi Russell. So we're talking Ireland 2015 in Dublin it came out as probably the most popular of of the the most tedious come boring games that we can immediately remember.
3: Yeah I'm not too surprised to hear that to be honest Uh, (laughs) obviously as it is only a few years ago as well but it is really one that sticks in the memory for me at least for pretty much absolutely nothing happening on the pitch.
1: That's right. Yeah. It was was the first time the two sides had met since that infamous game in in 95. But I don't remember there was a great deal sort of made of that, was there? Which is probably a good thing.
3: No, I I think that may well have played a part in the fact it was, from memory, about a a one o'clock kickoff on on a Sunday lunchtime. But yeah, I don't seem to remember anything extra in the build up, you know, media and, you know, there on the day, sort of suggesting that there was any likelihood of it you know yeah. any chance of a repeat but yeah i think it may have played a part in the, the kickoff time because obviously so often we see you know a, a midweek nighttime fixture don't we? following england That's uh, but right. it's really rare really to get a, a weekend
1: lunchtime yeah weekend lunchtime's on a on a sunday wasn't it one o'clock and uh, many people have also said there was no hope of getting a beer pre-game either did you experience that <laughs>
3: Yeah, so we we only actually flew in that morning, so we we probably only landed a few hours before kickoff, really early morning flight from Gatwick. So I, I think we had a drink or two on the plane, but I think that was it pre-match. Um, I think you know a lot, along with obviously the the boring game itself, a, a very rare, completely sober England away crowd, <laughs> and probably helped with the with a flat atmosphere as well, didn't it? Yeah. it's quite an unusual feel in the ground, really. Both home and away ends were were completely flat throughout the game
1: speaking of flat i mean the the stadium the aviva stadium um which i was quite impressed with but behind that goal that we were stood was a strange setup it's it was a very shallow flat end wasn't it
3: it is yeah i, I think the the stadium itself is about fifty thousand. but you think if that end was was probably built up like the rest of it you think it you know could be quite a lot bigger than that but it, it is strange i think i've read before that it's involved in the in the design, you know, they needed the planning permission that one end was a lot lower so that it didn't block out the sunlight to parts of the city or something like that. But it is, like you say, it's completely flat, which, again, didn't help with making any sort of atmosphere. But also the the glass sort of roof and hold back to it, it as a sunny day. I don't know if you remember, but oh, yeah. suddenly, I've never seen so many red faces and, and red heads really, yeah. from, the, from getting the sunburn. In the, I think they call it the greenhouse end, they? then it really did feel like that.
1: Wasn't something I was really expecting to uh, to encounter in a trip to, to Ireland and Dublin. Uh, there was one other thing that I did remember was pre kickoff, Jack Charlton was introduced to the crowd. He, I think, seemed to remember yeah. he looked a little bit frail at the time.
3: Yeah, I, I hadn't remembered that until you just mentioned it. Um, I, I think I remember him and sort of the, the Irish Prime Minister as well. I'm not sure whether it was the same same thing or one was at half time or something. But yeah, you, you are right. I remember that now.
1: Yeah, obviously he's got uh, links to, to both sides. Um, but as you say, game wise, it it just wasn't anything. Um, the one one milestone that people may not be aware of, it was actually Jamie Vardy's first cap in that game.
3: Yeah, I, I was going to mention that actually. Because obviously that that was the year before he really sort of hit the ground running with Leicester, and obviously they went on to to win the Premier League. So I think it was a little bit out of nowhere, and I, I do remember actually at the time leading up to the game, a few sort of newspapers and things questioning Hodgson's decision to give him a call up. I think comparing the likes of Sado Berahino, saying you know why is he not getting a call up? Because I think he'd done quite well in the under twenty ones or something. But uh, you know I think Hodgson had obviously seen something there in Vardy that maybe a lot of us hadn't, and uh, obviously it. What's happened in the last few years of his career has been unbelievable since then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember him having much of an impact, but I, I don't think anybody had an impact on the game, so it'd be unfair to say he didn't play well.
1: Yeah. He has a look at the watch, whistle in the mouth of Arnold Hunter, and that will do it. 20 years on from a black day for the game here. Ireland and England meet again in a far better circumstances. the game played in a very good manner. Competitive start to finish, chances for both sides but no breakthrough goal in the end. And as has been the case between these nations in recent meetings down the years, it's a stalemate in the end
3: as the sides finish Honours even. I'm sure you've had similar conversations in the past. We've always said the same with our group that go both for, for Brighton and England games that football trips are so much more than just the 90 minutes. And I think if ever there's been a, a trip to prove that, it, it's this one. You'll get back to work on a Monday and some people go, oh, I bet you wish you never never bothered with that. And you go, "What?" It was the brilliant couple of days or something
1: well where um, else did you go do you remember
3: probably the well definitely the highlight of the trip with the with the game being so poor was the the early kickoff obviously meant that we've we've got a brilliant long post match obviously again it's it's pretty rare touched upon the fact that usually sort of 8 45 p.m local time aren't they often getting held in the ground after you don't get back into town till midnight so the post match is usually pretty short but with this one it was the the complete opposite wasn't it you're sort of in the yeah in the city centre by three o'clock or something and there's there's far worse cities to be
1: having a long post match in than dublin true very true that's my my first trip to dublin actually that one
3: yeah mine too mine too we we actually went with a friend um one of our friends we know from sporting brighton who actually follows ireland so he was there in the home end um so we met up with him post match and so he'd been to a few few good pubs um, previously that were probably a little bit more welcoming than some of the main sort of Temple Bar area that we didn't have much luck getting in. But yeah, it, it was a, one of those brilliant post matches at five years on that still gets mentioned most times we see each other. Really, yeah.
1: Well, maybe I'll have another trip to Dublin in the uh, in the near future. Obviously, that was one of the the most popular
3: routes for the for the Euros, wasn't it? With of course, the, uh, yeah. The last, the last sixteen, if we topped the group. But yeah, if, if we've got a knockout game in Dublin in the Euros next summer, then I'm sure it'll be a, a
1: far better trip. <laughs> let's hope so. Lewis, thank you very much for your time. No worries at all. Thank you, Russell. OK, let's move on to Slovakia. 2016 Saint Etienne for the the Euro 2016. Uh, I was there, as was uh, CJ. Join us, Slovakia, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. God, I mean, it's a nice little yeah. town that I thought. I'll be honest with you, the game weren't up to much, which is kind of what we're talking about now, really. But yeah. beforehand. They had the square where they had all the bars. Because the bars weren't particularly big, they kind of bought the mobile bars out into the square. That's there right. was um th- each bar had a bloke with a with a ladder and you could chuck in five euros and he would put your flag up right in, right at the top of the kind of where the buildings were. Oh, They'd, is that um, how they got up there? Yeah, yeah. They did uh, there was sort of four or five blokes walking around with ladders. I'm sure every bar had a bloke that did it. Um, and as I say, he chucked in five euros to put it up there. Five euros to go and get it later. One of the best places I've been to. One of the best organised places I've been to to for a game. It was completely the opposite of the uh, of Lens, to be honest. That yeah, that's true. Yeah, but yes, yeah, Etienne, very, very, very impressed with the city.
1: From what I remember is a bit of a trek to the ground, though, wasn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was a bit of a walk. The thing is, it was it was that good before the game. The game is it doesn't live long in the memory no i'm struggling to remember much after we left that square i remember it being very hot there was, it was warm i remember it being very 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 warm apart from that i don't really remember much about the walk to the ground to be honest
1: it was one of those once i did get to the ground it was one of those ones where i, I think i got in a bit late i was there for kickoff but i got i was one of the the stragglers but it was one of those ones that as soon as I got in, I was like, I've no chance of even finding what seat row block I'm supposed to be. And it was packed behind the goal there.
0: I seem to remember, was the ground, was it was it like a concrete jungle? I seem yeah. to remember it being a concrete, just concrete everywhere. There wasn't really any colour apart from grey.
1: This particular episode is about these sort of tedious games that do come round on the odd occasion. But you, you just told me some stats before we spoke that surprised me.
0: I'm not surprised in the slightest about the uh, shot count for Slovakia. They had four shots. To be honest, the only thing that surprised me about that is that they had that many. But then we had 29. 29. <laughs> I just I don't know whether the Sky Sports website I've got that wrong, but I mean, according to this, we only had nine, we only had five on target, we had eleven off target, and 13
1: blocked. Yeah. Was, when I put this out, as a, but, what. What is your most or boring or tedious game? This one came out quite high. People always said, "No, this was this was boring."
0: Well, the thing is, though, although we had twenty nine shots in in total, according to this, they had no clear cut chances and we had two. So, right. and there was only two offsides. Mm. You know, that kind of says a lot, really, about the um, about the match. I think when you when you look at how many offsides there are and how many um, and how many clear cut chances that
1: each team has, tells to, its to own have, story. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean the one the one thing if people are scratching their heads going, yeah, I don't really remember this game. There is one one thing that will probably bring it back to the forefront of your mind is is what happened in the second half and it happened off the pitch, didn't it? Yeah,
0: the uh, the great escape, the chance. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the England fans all behind the goal for a good 25 minutes clapping, singing the great escape was was absolutely amazing.
0: It was fantastic. It was one of the best atmospheres of i've been involved in to be honest that was that was yeah. brilliant you know second to none i don't know whether it's down to the um the grounds acoustics that managed to carry it i don't know but i just couldn't get over um, how long that went on for and yeah every, every time every time you got to the end of it you just thought all right okay that's it now oh it's starting again and it just <laughs> it just kind of continued it seemed a lot longer than 25 minutes really Russ.
1: Yeah, it was one of those ones where your hands, you you didn't want to be like the first one to give up, but your hands were going red raw. Yeah,
0: that's right, yeah. To be honest with you i was probably more angry coming out of this ground than i was coming out of the ground in nice i felt so utterly demoralized and depressed by what we'd just seen and i think we would have been playing would we've been playing northern ireland
1: we would have been playing northern ireland in paris i believe yeah. it, if i win there would have changed our path in this tournament it would have done it happy memories eh as I said,
0: the game the game was awful. That's that's all I can say in it really.
1: There we have it. Five games, five nil nils, and five guests. I think that's a record for the podcast. So what did you think? Agree? Disagree? Let me know in the uh, the Twitter, Facebook comments. And if you do have any ideas for the podcast, please do feel free to get in touch in the usual way. Uh, as I put out recently on uh, social media, with this being the 100th episode, it's got me thinking and reflecting. What would you like to hear more of? What don't you like? What's been your favourite episode? I've got some more ideas planned going forwards. Perhaps you enjoyed the Euro series. I'm sure I'm going to be look at doing a similar one for the World Cup. In fact, I'll let you into a little secret. The 1980 episode with Les Gasson has been the most listened to, come downloaded episode of the Three Lions podcast. And if you've not heard it, why not give it a search? On com? just put Euro 1980 into the search section. I mean, would you like more on the women? More on the youth? I don't know. But what I'd like to do is to keep you engaged. Is it too long? Is it too short? Let me know. What I do know is, we will be speaking with another overseas England fan on the next episode. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you can join me for that one. As always, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which I really should do a little bit more of. Uh, Just search Three Lions Podcast. So until then, look after yourself. Cheers.